really feeling something the entire time. Nothing has made me do that more than Hereditary since probably uh, Good Night, Mommy. Oh, I liked Good Night, Mommy. I did too. I really liked it. And the but like cutting in, the lips was a little in ass. both circumstances. <laughs> I'm just like I'm 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 tense and I don't know what's gonna happen next. And I'm I'm like so focused on this fucking movie in a way that I'm I'm not uh, always. I felt that way at the time with Hereditary, so I guess I should give it more credit. But uh, literally in the hallway, walking out of the theater, so many plot holes slash things that maybe could make sense if someone smarter than me explained it to me. Mm-hmm. But like, there were so many things that I'm like, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. You I don't should, like this movie. <laughs> you should look up interviews with the writer director because unlike a lot of filmmakers, mm-hmm. he answers all all the questions. Oh, okay. Like there are a lot of people who are like, well, what do you think it meant? And he's like, no, 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 no. It's uh, it's. It, it's a demon, and, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you where he's from. Here's the rules. <laughs> Alex Garland does that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's very direct. Uh, hey, this is. Are we testing? Or are no, you just, we're live, bro. Oh, we're live. Oh, this is part of it. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is being this all the time. <laughs> this is being animated live. This is. It's uh, a terrible strain on the yeah, rest. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So should we start? Never mind. I we can, but that's how talk about Alex Garland. No, again. we we should. It's nice. Uh, I mean. <laughs> He's good. Annihilation was that movie for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Annihilation. Oh, I love that too. Annihilation yeah, yeah. ended up making sense to me in the sense that I can parse everything in a way that feels intentional to me. And even if I misalign on a few points with what the director intended, that's fine. It like makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Hereditary. I have questions that I don't have answers for. It's like the first time I saw 2001 and that took me like three more viewings to like. And I think I will like Hereditary if I figure it out. Mm-hmm. And if it's true that there are answers to everything then and I trust you, like, then okay. Yeah. Because I felt very keyed up the entire time, for sure. It's impactful as like a baseball bat of emotion, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like, and I, and I guess this, this is like, it gets down to the core of what you want a movie to be. I keep saying that Hereditary is like, very impactful for me this year and it made me feel things like the entire time I'm I'm riveted and was thinking about it for weeks afterwards. I, I will never watch that movie again. I will absolutely never because watch that of, movie again. Really? Yes. Because it's too rough? It's really rough and, and, and very uncomfortable and like... You gotta see and Antichrist! There's, there's also a part of me that doesn't <laughs> want to watch it again because like, what if I watch it a second time and I like it less? Or, oh, or, sure. or like, I, m- like more questions. Come I know out. Like, you. I have this experience that I want to have forever. Okay. Uh, you know, like, like and relive childhood. and relive yeah. infinitely. I, yes. <gasps> Welcome to the Groundhog Day episode of Frame. Segways <laughs> are cool. not hereditary. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Swain. I'm the other host, Abe Epperson. And with us is our special guest. Daniel O'Brien, hello. Hello. Thanks for coming, Daniel. Thank what, you so much for having what's me. What's the thing we say about at the top of the podcast that says... We, we rave frames? We, did you say that? No. No. This is frame I, rate, I mean, we rape frames. But that's not true, because I, I did say it when I asked, so then when you said, did you say it, I should have said yes. Oh. I just wasn't focused. I don't listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> 1993, directed by Harold <laughs> Ramey, Groundhog Day, stars Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott... Stephen Tobolowski, ah, my favorite. I need to know if you're being cute or if you think it's pronounced Ramy. Oh, Ramus? Yeah, I'm. So, I did think it's pronounced Ramy. That's really? Sam Ramy. Sam Ramy. No, there's no. I Ramis. know that. I thought they were both pronounced Ramy. Nah, spelled and pronounced differently. Pronounced mm-hmm. the same. That's how I remembered it. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Okay. 
So the Ramus is not pretentious. Uh-huh. It's, no. it's, it's yeah. like, yeah, Ramus, like yeah. it's spelled. Anyway, Chris Elliott, Stephen Tobolowsky, Brian Doyle Murray in a Hey, Pay My Brother role. <laughs> mm-hmm. Written by Danny Rubin, who also wrote the Freaky Friday reboot, along with Harold Ramus. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the Groundhog Day podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to do that every now and then. <laughs> every time. <laughs> to oh, to get the cyclical <laughs> effect? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where we rate frames. Yes. Daniel, you selected this film. I did. I love it very much. Mm. Uh, and I rewatched it, I think, like a year and a half ago for uh, this show that I used to do for The Old Place. Mm-hmm. And uh, still rewatched it again this morning, literally this morning, because I wanted to be even more prepared. Uh, and I still found stuff that I didn't see the first time. The first I, 90 times. I got one. I watched it last night, and I got one, a line that I was like, that is a perfect line. Yeah. I was upset you picked this movie. I know. Because I thought there wouldn't be anything to talk about besides, yeah, it's funny, it's good. <laughs> I th- it's, and I did get so much more out of it, looking at it with a critical eye. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, it's it's a classic. There are things that I want to, I, there are like three main things, like broad strokes things that yeah. I'm, I'm curious to talk about with you guys. One of them is the obvious, uh, very problematic nature of the main romance of the film that we know is problematic now that wasn't as clear in the 90s. Like where, when he's compiling a list. Right, like like, right. The, like the you could write books about the uh, power imbalance in their relationship. Uh, Phil and, and uh, Rita, Andy McDowell's character. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. Uh, two, this is one of those movies where the behind-the-scenes drama of it is very interesting and, and a thing that I get hung up on a lot with yeah. when... There's a classic movie, and in my heart, I want to believe like there was a great writer who wrote something amazing, and he got a director who understood it, and he got a cast that was on board, and they just made this perfect thing that it was in one person's mind, and then they made it. And uh, when I hear about a movie like Groundhog Day, where it was such a troubled production, and Bill Murray was going through a, a marital issues yeah. and was mm-hmm. a terror to everyone on set, hurricane. It's almost. Every other Murray production yes. is like that. Yeah. And it was like it was so toxic that it fractured the relationship between Murray and Ramus until yeah. uh Ramus was practically on his deathbed. Yeah. Um so that's the other thing, and like what that means for art is a thing that I get hung up on a lot. And nothing. Next. No. <laughs> uh the third thing I had oh shoot, I forgot. That's the fine. Thing. There's no need to table the contents. Let's start with the first okay, thing. That's fair. Because <laughs> I also, we are covering uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin today as well, mm-hmm. and maybe my bar was like reset by it because 40-Year-Old Virgin is so wildly <laughs> offensive to me now mm-hmm. that I thought Groundhog's Day was not problematic, <clears throat> and let me explain why. Because every, uh, so you, I think everyone, we don't even have to reiterate the plot, but when he's trapped in the series of loops... And, of course, he starts initially using it to just have, like, a little black book of every woman in the town that he can have sex with because he right. knows all their likes and dislikes. Um, I Obviously, that's problematic on its face. But whereas... And then he just does it to Andy McDowell next, and you're like, well, that's terrible that you're <laughs> equating those things. I remember it as ending with, he does the snowman thing, it works, they have sex, and that's the end. But there's this whole period where she slaps him 20 times, he completely, uh, she propose, like comes on to him and he denies her, 
so that he can go. What I'm getting at is Bill Murray is the Buddha in this mm-hmm. so that he can go completely despair, try to kill himself over and over when that doesn't work, serves the community. And that's when he finally grows. And then he and Andy McDowell can fall in love because it's genuine. And I'm just saying the level of sophistication of like that love relationship in 1988 compared to. Andy Spitzer and Catherine mm-hmm. Keener in 40-Year-Old Virgin in 2005. It's insane. You said this movie, 1988? It was I'm sorry, 93. Written 93. 1990. 93. Came out in 93. 93. Yeah. Um, uh, those are the only dates that I remember. In, that was Beetlejuice. In I'm mixing up my notes. <laughs> um, I think w- w- the problem, what it comes down to for me, and I can also look past this problem mm-hmm. because the movie wants us, by, by the movie's logic, True love exists, and it's a magical thing out that is, is, is governed by nature, or God, it might as well be. And you just you, you take it to face value that true love exists, and it exists between Annie McDowell's Rita and Bill Murray's Phil. Because he knows so, when he first saw her. Right, the yeah. movie says love is real, and it's shared with these two people. And I was like, I can, I can let my uh, 2018 emotions take a back seat. And just enjoy this movie and believe that they that they love each other. But what I keep coming back to is that if they, if you extrapolate their relationship and you go further and further into their relationship, no, you can't do that. Right? You'll never. There will always be two different stories. Rita's story, like, how did you meet your husband? It's like, well, I started working on this job and I thought he was an asshole, and then the next day he was just like transformed. I my my initial impression was wrong. He was a sweet man. Like the community loved him, and he was a musician. Yeah. And I and I love that and. He was humble and he's nice to his mom. And these are all things that are important to me. And he was just like checked off every box and, and he his li- story. And he's literally mildly psychic. Like yes. I was about to cheer at a world peace and he cheered the world peace. He ordered right. my favorite drink. That's and, nuts. Right. And <laughs> his story is, yeah, I, uh, I met your mother and then I had uh, a thousand years to fuck around, yeah. murder people, kill myself, <laughs> yeah. learn everything there is to know about her, learn a bunch of lessons in the process and like become a better human, certainly. And then... That's uh, what I'm saying is that beat where he devotes like a year of his life, presumably, to trying to save the old man. Yeah. That is growth work that didn't need to be in the movie. So I appreciate that. It is growth work. Like the, the amount of lessons he learns and the, the change that he goes through, I really do... By, mm-hmm. but there's one final step of that change that would show real, actual human growth in him, and that would be him the next day saying, "Listen, the reason that I seem perfect to you is because I was allowed to be an asshole to you for 900 years, and yeah. uh, got all that out of my system and and changed." Like, like there's a there's a power imbalance in their relationship that is always going to be an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Well, what's weird? It's the same as Twilight. He's essentially hundreds of years older right. than her. Well, that actually they've. There's been a few people who have tried to figure it out, so there's several different options yeah. for answers. What culture said, like, mm-hmm. compiled all of the reasonable amount of time it takes to, like, be really good at ice sculpturing or piano and yeah. stuff. Oh, like that's that. such a good and, internet nerdy way to figure that, and at, they, that out. And then they oh. just compiled how long it would take, and they gave it a day count, and it's just under 34 years is what yeah. they said. Uh, now, Harold Ramis has said 10,000 years once. He's yeah. also said in different interviews, 
10 years yeah. and 30 to 40 years. I've heard 10 years from, from Harry Ramey. I've heard um, <laughs> uh, 10,000 years was uh, misattributed to Danny Rubin at one point as well. Like he said in a Ringer interview, people say 10,000, that I said 10,000 years because that's a, a Buddhist number and uh-huh. I'm Buddhist, mm-hmm. but I never actually said that. Like but I also don't ascension. care. Like they intentionally, yeah. it doesn't, they don't need people to figure out uh, how many years it was. They, do you guys want someone also compiled literally just how many days are on screen? So the minimum days. It's like 37, 38? 38. 38. 38. 38. 38. Yeah, 38. Yeah, yeah. Nice. We Nicely all done. looked at the IMDb page. <laughs> <laughs> was, can I do a, a, a one small brief bizarre trivia thing that I, I've been excited about because I just learned it this morning and I want to share it with Abe very much? Oh, yeah. Um, Stephen Tobolowsky often goes to give speeches with the Oakland Raiders because the Oakland Raiders, or I guess the Vegas Raiders now, mm-hmm. uh, the Raiders watch Groundhog Day all the time. What? The co- Who we, decides we, that? We don't exactly know why. It's the, the best guess of uh, sports internet has been that uh, the Raiders make the same mistakes over and over again. And so the coaches make them watch Groundhog Till Day because you, like, learn. you have to learn from your mistakes. We're going to have Stephen, we're going to have Ned Ryerson come out and, they and talk to you about Buddhism. <laughs> They, and they probably so hate much. it. They, par- they probably just hate everything. About he does it. a whistling belly button for him. Yeah. The whole bit. <laughs> he, uh, he, I think it's really interesting that Danny Rubin's Buddhist because I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. I totally, completely got that this time. Because uh, one of the things I love about it is, uh, and that makes so much sense now. I'm like, oh, okay. Then that's why. Everything yeah. matches up perfectly. It basically follows the life story of the Buddha in like an encapsulated way. And, or of Siddhartha rather. And... Also, the uh, in like the first act, Bill Murray only ex- basically exclusively says things that refer to his ambitions for the future or regrets about the past. Right, mm-hmm. and then of course by the end, the whole point is he's stuck in the present. That's the only moment you ever have. Blah 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 yeah. blah blah. It's so Buddhist. It's crazy Buddhist. Ned, <laughs> Ned Ryerson also has like a sleeper line because he's just like he's like Steve Buscemi and Barton Fink, like. Just like throwing mm-hmm. a bunch of words at mm-hmm. you, especially the first day when uh, Bill Murray isn't know anything. And so there was a line when he's explaining that he does insurance that I'm sure you guys probably picked up on. But for some reason, I always just missed it. But it's a perfect line for the movie. It's like a resonant line. And it's tell me ever heard of single premium life? Because I think that that could be the ticket for you. Wow. Such a great movie. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Single yeah. premium. Okay. I thought you were going when get you back about, to your own yeah. solo life, but it's really good now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I one of my favorite things about that opening scene. That's so clever, and I didn't, I didn't get that because this time I was hung up on. I never really focus on the details of how he tries to get Phil to remember him until this viewing, mm-hmm. and it's. His greatest hits are so terrible. It was yeah. I did the belly button whistle at the talent show. Uh, I got shingles so bad I almost missed graduation. Bing. I dated your sister. Oh. I dated your sister a few times until he told me to stop. Bing. But yeah, bing. those are such bad hits. You omitted the best part, which is Bing and Bing again. Yeah. <laughs> bing. Almost didn't graduate. Bing again. <laughs> I love. And he's like Ned. they call me Ned. Now they call me Ned the Bull, and he does like a cat's paw yeah. every time. He <laughs> <laughs> mimes being a bull. He just he's does this so paw. Perfect, Ned. I'd love to stand here and keep talking to you, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing for dinner? Something else. Yeah. That's Stephen Tobolowsky's Ned Ryerson, and I think he's my favorite part of the movie. I think he's the prophet of the movie when you secretly because he <laughs> has uh, he has life figured out. 
Yeah. He really does. He's even though he's an idiot for mixed metaphor reasons and mm-hmm. cat paws and but he he is just so enthusiastic about what's next and he remembers everything mm-hmm. and like he is like a model of like how like he would kill Groundhog Day if he was in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> like he'd do it in like eight days and be done. Mm-hmm. The one and this is more a reflection on the nineties than it is anything else. Um, when Phil decides I'm going to hug and like stroke Ned Ryerson right. for a while <laughs> As a and like, like play with his back a little bit and, and, uh, delivers one of my favorite lines that, that I Ad always lines. wish I had like the, the gall to <laughs> use on someone I'm seducing, yeah. which is, I don't know what we've got going on, but can you cancel it? Yeah. It's like such an open, amazing bold yeah, invitation. Really That's an improv. Ned gets really uncomfortable and leaves. That's mid nineties yeah. gay panic. That it's true. We we. But there's a good gay moment in this movie <laughs> that I I I must another one that I must have missed the first nine hundred times that I watched it, which was when he's proving to Rita that he's God. When Phil is proving to Rita that he's a God, he's going through the diner like this is Doris's story. This is mm-hmm. this person's story. This is Bill. Loves this town. He's been here for three years since he left Penn State. He paints toy soldiers, and he's gay. And Bill goes, "I am," and not in a like, <laughs> "Oh, I didn't." Not I in a like, that you, as "You surprised well. me," or like, "You you yeah. outed me in a cruel, yeah. jokey way," in a very <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. proud like, "Yeah, what the fuck? Of yeah. course I am. Yeah. What, what yeah. of it? Hey, and, this guy's no stuff." Like, Punxsutawney. Yeah, we, yeah. We have, we have like proudly out gay waiters in Punxsutawney in 1993. Every mm. time I've seen it, I somehow missed the side of Michael Shannon's face in that <laughs> diner scene. It's Michael Shannon's first role ever. Yeah, yeah. 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 Gets the WrestleMania tickets. He just goes, what? <laughs> in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah, he gets another line later, but... And if, uh, if you miss that, then you also missed uh, a thing that I missed until this mm. morning that I wanted to, to weave a big, long fan theory about, but I can't. Because in... Shortly after... Bill gets outed and says, I am gay and I'm, mm. I'm proud of it. Go fuck yourself. The world doesn't accept me. Uh, Chris Elliott's character, Larry, enters, passes Bill mm-hmm. and very clearly checks out his ass and like does another look at him as he's walking away. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching it, I started writing my notes like, Larry, gay fan theory, question mark. And then he's clearly into Nancy by the end of the film. So there's not, yeah. there's nowhere near enough could be bi. evidence. He could be bi. That's true. He could be bi. <laughs> but it was a... Uh, not as explored as I'd like it to be. The, um, That's got to be just the Chris Elliott choice on the day. For there's sure, yeah. a lot of seams, though. Like, for example, when he's like trying to help Pop, right? And he mm-hmm. goes to the hospital when he walks through the hallways. He sees the there's a kid with a broken leg. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I missed that. Is that the kid who falls from the tree? That's yeah. the kid he later catches from the tree. That little brat. <laughs> also, the uh, every time he passes the homeless man, the exact same sequence of things happens behind him from the extras. The cars? Which, not only the cars, but the people have the exact same interaction. And just the idea that, and I read on IMDb that not only, obviously, you have to nail that every time, which you don't actually have to. It's like attention to detail you didn't need. That's awesome. And they shot it everything in multiple weather conditions because the weather was so variable and they had to have control over the weather in the scenes to make the progression of time clear because of course one of the main cues is he wakes up and he's like oh now it's not snowy it's the next day right right that's one of the things that i I love so much about harold ramis as a director is that he was thinking about that and not even just like filming things for safety he genuinely uh, this is this comes from an interview with Stephen Tobolowsky, who gives the best interviews on the planet, where Ramis was just like, I don't 
the weather is a character in this film. It needs to, it means something if it's a sunny day, if it's a rainy day, if it's a snowy day, if it's a cloudy day. It's mm-hmm. not even just about the production of this film. It, we're saying something with what the weather is every day, and they inevitably settled on cloudy, which is the right choice in right, ways yeah. that I can't totally explain, but it is the right choice. Well, and it's the opening like, and closing shots also. Yeah. Under the credits. I'm not sure what I got out of that, but maybe something. I mean, the, the opening of, of this movie is like the opening of a, a lot of 90s movies where it's just music and credits and like flying over a city. They did the same thing with Well, it was like it's roiling clouds. Yeah. And the only thing, and then at the end it's still clouds, which is another Buddhist thing possibly. Mm-hmm. Is, that, uh, are, is, is clouds Buddhist? Well, I mean going from a state of chaos to peaceful stillness. Oh. That, uh, but... I'm reaching because I read a lot of Buddhist shit into it this time. I actually knew a Baptist cloud, though. (laughs) Yeah. Christian cloud. Um, uh, Like, there was another line I found really resonant this time, but maybe that's because I like Buddhism. But I do feel encouraged by the fact that Danny Rubin said he's Buddhist. Is uh, at the end when he wakes up and it's finally different. And he says something's different. And yeah. she says good or bad. And he says anything different is good. That's yeah. a very Buddhist ethos. I yeah. like that. Uh, another line of his that I love. I don't know if this is Buddhist because I have not read into Buddhism at all. Forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's talking to the doctor, who is Harold Ramis, uh, and he says, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Like, <laughs> that's such a profound, amazing statement yeah. to think about. And also like a very literal description of what's going on in his yeah. life at the time. And I thought equally moving uh, when he says to Andy McDowell, what are you doing here the next morning? Because she wasn't there last night. Yeah. And she says, I bought you. I, bought you. I, I own, own you. you. <laughs> very Buddhist. That's a very Buddhist sentiment. <laughs> to own people. I bought you. I own you. <laughs> um, I did oh. laugh out loud at that line, though. Go ahead. I finally remember, remembered the third thing from my table of contents. Yeah. Uh, we're still on the first thing, but before I forget it again, the third thing was I really wanted to, to dig in with Abe about um, you as a filmmaker and a director and uh, an occasional cinematographer, what all of your thoughts in, the, in that realm was for this movie, because all of mine are uh, actor stuff and writer stuff, and I, I never look at it with an eye for, that was a good shot. Like, I, I, I don't know what this movie is like to a director or a cinematographer. I think that I think the uh, the game of this, like if I were to talk to the cinematographer, I feel like the thing that we would talk about would probably be the game of the shots. Like, mm-hmm. just like in comedy, there's a game of like, so what do you do? And it's usually it means it's like a limitation or it's a thing that you're always striving to do. And this movie is denser, like like in terms of the depth of shot than most things to give you so many, to give you all of those things that we're talking about, how there's like multiple layers Mm -hmm. of the shots. So you see the background and I think that there's something where depending on where he is and where he enters or he exits or where he's occupying in the shot, like there's a reason for why he is where he is. Usually when he's learning, it's he's just mm-hmm. right up front and close. And you mean the groundhog now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bill, yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know, the groundhog Bill. is always in frame. <laughs> yeah. like, like yeah. There's always a like, groundhog in every <laughs> single shot, usually. If you Famously <laughs> played by Chris Elliott. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> Voiced yeah, in the Disney, uh, Disney Channel spinoff series. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that one thing you, were ju- you guys yeah. were just talking about, about how the attention to detail of like things like in the hospital about how there's always the, it's always the same choreography. 
it's interesting because I thought like, yeah, that is a nice touch. It's also way smarter to do from the filmmaking standpoint, especially if you're inside and don't have a lot of control. It's a lot easier to do that than make up new. Oh, you're like, right. why would they do different choreography? Like, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. true. This is because this is then the they could just we do, keep doing takes. Right, we do <laughs> 15 takes of him rounding the corner and check, checking his pockets for money for pops. Yeah. And then not giving it to and him, then, yeah. or sometimes he gives it to him, and like that's great. That's we we just got a quarter of the movie done. And yeah, yeah his point is like, guy in the background, do something different. No, no, no. do same thing. <laughs> I told you what to do. You just keep doing that until yeah. we're done. That's there was, true, but it works. It works, and that's what I think. That segues nicely to something I just think as comedian minds that we can all appreciate is it's one of the perfect premises. Because it's self-renewing. Yeah. And I like this time I finally tracked it where it's like day one, obviously just setup day. Day two, premise introduction. Day three, high on superpowers, acting like the world isn't real. Day five, superpowers hit their zenith where they become no longer fun. Day six, bored master of the universe. And if you think about it, each of those is a totally different sketch game. Yes. Yeah. Every single day. Is a new development. And then, of course, it becomes impossible to sort which the days are because they start skipping ahead a lot more. Yeah, but montages. every single day is like in UCB or any sort of improv class, you learn how to like take a premise and, you know, blow it up and expand it in a different direction. And this does that to itself in such a realistic, organic way because yeah. it's how almost any human would go in this situation. I've never seen a, a more complex idea or script made to seem so simple than, than Groundhog Day. Like, I couldn't... Yeah. Give me a thousand years, I wouldn't write Groundhog Day. But this person, Danny Rubin, has this premise, and then everything, in terms of story beats, naturally flows from it. And even separate from story beats... The decision to, all right, now we're not doing the 6 a.m. Sonny and Cher song. Now we're doing, this is just uh, uh, a series of shots that are just like the same 10 seconds of Andy McDowell and, right. and Bill Murray mm, in the slaps. restaurant. It's like, yeah. you don't need to see him waking up anymore. I know that I've overstayed that welcome. So like we've naturally moved into the part it, where we're, we're just chopping. And it like, starts right away. so where, organic and yeah. perfect. Even day, I think day three and four... Day one, it sets up that the very first guy he sees is that guy that accosts him when he steps out of his door and yeah. says, yeah, do you think it's going to be spring? <laughs> I predict March 21st. I think that actually is the first day of spring. And <laughs> he just waits. Yeah. Um, we don't see him on days two and three, but he comes back on four. And yeah, all Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis co-wrote, but like the time mastery is so admirable because one of the greatest feats of film is to disjoint time. And in this time is disjointed both in the standard filmic way and literally yeah. in the plot. And they do whatever the fuck they want. That, and yet it's so clear that, all the time. That guy, by the way, I, I, I mean, you could, you could fan theory anything you want mm -hmm. about the scenes that we don't see. But he seems like one of the only people who is sort of uh, free from Phil's wrath throughout all of this. Because a lot of people get wronged by him. This is a guy who on the first day does that cute March 21st yeah. interaction and like it doesn't stop his gate. He's just like, I think that is the first day of spring yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it just goes on about his day. We he have another scene with him where uh, Phil is, Phil does that like poem about winter slumbering yeah. and mm -hmm. how it's going to emerge and, and says ciao and like kisses him on the and he's just uh, mildly and he's just perplexed like, he's no he leaves smiling he's oh like, well there's ciao. A, there's a middle beat where and he comes he, like, out and walks he's away like, yeah. like 
I'm ready to face my day now. And you yeah. know, like, you he's know, just always chipper. You know that there's there's one day where like Phil just woke up, was tired of it, just beat the shit Shoved out of him. Shoved him down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and he just was like, why? <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a whole big section where it seems like Phil is mostly uh, sleeping also lots of days away. Yeah, he just, yeah. Hotel yeah, just room, drinks yeah. in his mm-hmm. hotel room or whatever. Did you know that they they originally had a completely different structure? The original script had it so that it would start at Sunny and Cher. And the, so we didn't get... But the studio wanted it so that it was like there's an act one where we just introduce the character. Right. There was yeah. They they wanted it to be. I'm gonna. In media res. In media res. Yeah. I I don't know if it's in media (laughs) ray or res. Is it res? Media res. Like Ramus. He's already in the middle of his Groundhog Day thing, and I think what they landed on was better. Except there's one. They get robbed of one reveal, which I would have liked, which is in the version where they start in media res. he punches Ned Ryerson every single day and we don't know why until he decides to stop punching Ned Ryerson and then yeah. we meet him. It's like, that would have been a fun Where you're like, yeah, that, he, you should punch him. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Although that means that for all the goodness that he eventually does do and how much there is the you know Buddhist element of it, like it, there's something haunting about like they'll, they'll be in his head. Phil will never be able to forget that one time that he like pulled out the eyes of a man or something. Right. Yeah. Like there's something haunting. Well, he they did. said explicitly that they very intentionally didn't go as far, but I think any adult who's like engaged with the pain and horror of the news of the world mm-hmm. sees this movie and you're like, well, they're glossing over the part where he commits like crazy violence. Cause if he's at Crimes, the point where he's numb yeah. and wants to kill himself, you're skipping the part where he like burns the hospital down just to see what happens. Well, yeah, that's, the thing, you know? that's the thing that I talked about on. And they're um, like, yeah, we didn't want to go there for obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. And I, like, <laughs> I, I got flack for that when I talked about that on, on my old show. We did obsessive mm-hmm. pop culture disorder. I, uh, on a tangent was like, also we didn't see it, but like he probably raped people. Right. And he probably murdered people. We just have to Be- assume that he did yeah. that because he, uh, drove a groundhog off a cliff and, murdered himself multiple times and like endangered two people like got sex with almost every woman in the town under like crazy false pretenses yeah and (laughs) and drove around with two drunk people like like crashing into things yeah and uh i don't know enough about mental health to know who's siding even on in this but a lot of people were like that's insane that you would think just because he commits suicide that he would also be a murderer and a rapist, and I was like, I don't know if that's insane, but I'm, but I'm, I'm washing my hands of this, and I'm backing up, kind and I'm of a I, sociopath, I, right? If that I, seems like sociopath behavior. I don't I, think like, normal rules apply because how can everything not feel consequenceless? I'm he not. He thinks he's a god. He and he thinks there's no after it resets. There's no like consequences, yeah. not only for himself but for the world. He's so who despaired. gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. and everyone's it's alive different than again. suicide. You think time is broken and the world is dead, right? And everything's right. just essentially like a hologram, right? He's not <laughs> yeah. like just depressed suicidal. He's he's this doesn't matter, and I don't feel like being awake for this yeah. many hours right now. Like I like I saw every suicide as like I'm staying in <laughs> Cut bed this for day a while. short. Yeah. 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 So after the first one. The first one he probably hoped it would work. He's like, like I'm getting my courage yeah. up to do this. Yeah, yeah, which is a big I mean mm-hmm. he's there's some days he woke up and he felt like he was in purgatory and then other days he felt like he was in hell. And yeah. that's all you have is the present moment and only mm-hmm. you can change internally right. to make the present feel better and then you get to move forward. Welcome yeah. to the Groundhog Day episode. <laughs> it's 
Mm, it's so I tasty. I thought we were here to talk about Alex Garland. <laughs> but like, it's so full of great lessons in such a way where mm-hmm. you don't think about that at all unless you have a podcast to do where you're examining it critically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, do we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll start recording now. Um, um, uh, I also like, there's a scene that, uh, so I just want to touch on this like darkness aspect that we were just talking about. I have sure. one more thing to say. I do too. After which you. is, uh, that, <laughs> I have a lot more things to say uh, about the, darkness. The though. darkness thing. I'm super happy that they went with what with it, they went with. It makes it, that's what makes this a classic is it's like, it's just enough comedy, just enough like conflict. Uh, there no, is dude, they one should scene. reboot it with hella murders. <laughs> hella murders. Uh, there is one darkness scene that I wish they did differently, even though I do like what they resolved on and it's cute and it's like I like it. The other version that I've heard of like what the scene would be would be a really cool shot and sequence, which is the after the, like, the second day or whatever, the breaking of the pencil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was originally conceived that he just like went to town on his hotel room and like slashed everything and did all this shit like 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 graffitied the walls mm-hmm. and it ends with him shaving his head and the camera was supposed to go mm-hmm. to his eyes and then pan out and his shaved head is now his hair again and he's in yeah. bed yeah. And the Cut to Chris perfect. Elliott going prima donnas. Yeah. <laughs> and the groundhog saying like, <laughs> that would have been cool. I what but, truly disturbs me was always the thought that just so like obviously there's no real answer to how he's experiencing this or mm-hmm. why it's him, but. It seems to me that it's probably an M theory situation where there's infinite multiple universes and he's traversing them and resetting on the time axis. Okay. In which case, everything he does, he leaves, but that universe persists as a mm-hmm. pocket universe. <laughs> which, if you watch it that way, it's just fucking awful. It's oh yeah, it's, it's just Rick and Morty it's, now. Yeah. Um, well, like, there's, the, and there's evidence to that because you have, and I know this is to support the true love thing, but I'm going to pervert it to be a conspiracy theory. Andy McDowell has deja vu, mm-hmm. uh, which you only put in intentionally, and it's kind of like a matrix glitch. It's like, I guess their true love means that I'm not supposed to be creeped out when they finally mm-hmm. do fall in love after what, to her perception, is only one day, as Dan pointed out. Mm-hmm. No matter what. And they do everything. I think they're very skillful about doing it as sensitively as possible because they're like, now he's not trying to hound her for sex. Man, the saving grace is that he learns his lesson, but when yeah. he's pushing her for sex, it's pretty goddamn it's, it's pushy. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. rough. Um, but I think their point is, yeah, that was bad. And so I'm like, oh, okay, let's yeah. see where this goes. And uh, I think they do everything they can to like mitigate that, but there's no way to not think about just what are all these... I don't know, you still did all these things, and even if pocket universes don't persist... You remember doing all that shit. He remembers shit. doing all of those things. All the yeah. bad and, stuff. And, like, and, <laughs> and will never be truly connected to her because he will, unless he shares all of the stuff that yeah. he did with her, which I don't imagine he's going to do. And I know there's people who are fine with like, yeah, you can have past partners. Of course that doesn't bother me as long like, as it's no, no, over. No, 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 no. He's like, One I, of my past partners was you when you were not happy about but it. But also like, I fucked a town. The whole yeah. town's <laughs> like women. Yeah, all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And guess what? <laughs> Bill. Yeah, 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 guess yeah. how I found out he was gay. Yeah. I was bored one day <laughs> and I tried sense. this out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's actually that's I get that idea from a line from the 
uh, Groundhog Day musical that I, there was I never there a was chance. One. Oh, Tim Minchin did it. Ah, Tim Minchin is one of my favorite people on the planet. He's he's a, a genius. And there's a, a line in one of his songs, uh, the Phil character songs, where I slept with ninety percent of women in Punxsutawney from eighteen to eighty four, and one dude when I was bored. And I'm like, Bill. The yeah. only gay guy that we know is Phil. It's it's Bill. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's also one other weird magic thing. This is where I thought you were going where you were talking about um, breaking the rules of true love or mm-hmm. or whatever, is that um, I don't know if this is ever in any kind of original version of the of the screenplay or anything, but the black bartender who gets no lines gets a couple of shots that are just on him and like you see him shake his head in one scene when Phil says something <laughs> stupid. And then in the oh, next that's day, right. okay. when yeah. they order the same drink, and she's like, what should we drink to? And he says, I think we should drink to world peace, because he learned yesterday that's what she drinks to. Mm-hmm. She always drinks to world peace. And it's a successful encounter. We see the black bartender again, shaking his head again. And like, I'm like, he fucking knows. He knows <laughs> it's Groundhog yeah, Day. Yeah. He knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the first time he says, he's like, can I get another one of these and put some alcohol in it this yeah. time or something like that? <laughs> yeah, like, he's line. just being a dick. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that he's always addicted. No, that that's guy. I think there's clues like right. uh, the clocks in the diner are all stopped. They're all frozen. Yeah, no one mentions it. Uh, yeah. In a previous, in the first draft, also the there was supposed to be a moment where Andy McDowell's character uh, also mentions that she's like she confesses in one day that like I'm also in time loops. That's that's what? my that's my favorite thing that was an alternate ending for this that Phil wakes up on February 3rd and then we find out that Andy McDowell is in a time loop and when I heard that I was like you should have done that and then like just kept making this movie like season two of this movie is we have two people who understand that time loops exist Andy McDowell has to wake up every morning and convince Phil that she's stuck in a time loop mm-hmm. and he agrees with her because he understands this and the rest of the town doesn't and now he's trying to find out and but his memory tra- is still blanked when it resets right yes yeah. he still wakes up in the morning <laughs> surprised that it's February 3rd yeah. and he needs to like be really excited and she has to be like yeah, yeah I know this is huge for you but this is my <laughs> 900th February 3rd I'm and I need you to get up to speed <laughs> yeah. where we need to work on me and figure out what my version of becoming a good person is because I was already pretty fucking good, Phil. So we need to like see, together I, crack this case. I assumed it was the gods of journalism who were like, his segment is not good enough. Like he's not putting his heart into <laughs> he it. He never mentioned Chekhov. And then when he does, he uses French poetry right. in it and it's really uplifting. That is the final day. Speaking <laughs> of French poetry, uh, probably my favorite line in the movie because it just seems so real. This is when he's like trying to win over Andy, but his inner jerk overcomes him is when he's talking to her about what she did in college. He's like, believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. He goes, no, what a waste of time. It seems so real and genuine. And like, (laughs) it's true. It is a waste of time. But that I did. So that I found to be really irked me later because that is, that's what like revealed to me. And I, and it's okay because he comes around, but Mm -hmm. it's that, it's really fucked up. His initial intentions with Andy McDowell, because he wants to do to her the same thing he did with all the other women. Mm-hmm. And literally the moment he's himself, he's like, yeah, I don't care about this. And she's right. like, well, then why would we end up together in bed? And you're like, yeah, that's the real him. Don't fall for his trickery. Right. <laughs> Poor Andy McDowell. But if he'd lived 10,000 years, his life up to this point is nothing. But it's funny right. that, okay, even if it's, 37, eight years. You, it's an inescapable thing because, yes, the time 
is enough time to learn to become a good person and deserve Andy McDowell. But now he's 40 years older than her. <laughs> right. Like inside himself. Right. He's like a 90 year old man. But now. that's mm-hmm. the sequel would work. She could catch up. That's yeah. the deal. Yeah, yeah. That's why you need that. Right. Because you'd have and Jean-Luc Picard you, is there playing the flute. You'd have a, you'd have a couple of <laughs> first beats or, where she's yeah. trying to figure out if she's going crazy. Then you'd have some beats where they're working together and maybe they have a fight. And then you have beats where it's just like, I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to get him mm-hmm. up on board. I'm just going to fuck off and fuck around and do my own thing for a while. And mm-hmm. and here we are writing the Groundhog Day sequel. Because that's the other main thing they didn't explore, which I would in a sequel, is travel. Because even yes. as him, I was like, you know that the hurricane doesn't strike or the snowstorm doesn't strike until the afternoon. You just never wake once up and drive and out. drive out of town. You never drive that, immediately that out of town. He always goes to the Groundhog ceremony. That not only good. that, think about this. He always walks the same way down the same street by choice. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I assume that that's just stuff that they let out. Like there's one time that he just he drove as far as that he could. And then in, nothing happened. Yeah. Fell yeah. asleep at the wheel or whatever and woke up the next day back. Right. But I would I love believe- to see Andy McDowell in a TV series doing that shit. Going yeah. to different places. That'd be fun. Yeah, because you get on a flight, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and fly somewhere. <laughs> and then have like 10 minutes of... Something else. <laughs> this is a boring town. show. <laughs> you flights in real time. Yeah. And you see the airport and a little bit of the outside and it ends. Hey, if they canceled LA to Vegas and yeah. that flight attendance show and the from loop. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, do you feel, this is something I didn't, in my memory, Chris Elliott's character was always like a dork and kind of a loser. Watching it this morning with an eye on him, he's much more assertive for the first, like, three quarters of the movie, and only really becomes a dork when Phil is cool. When Phil is, like, a Starts good, humble guy. Starts using his magic against him, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when, when Phil is a, a, a great guy, this is when suddenly Larry is, like, hitting on Nancy, and she's super not into it, and that's when he goes up on the stage and is like, no yeah. one's going to bid on me, and the old lady bids on him <laughs> this for lot two, is withdrawn. two bits, yeah. and we're all supposed to laugh at Chris Elliott and, like, What's his fucking crime, though? He was no, a guy who I, he was seems like, like normal guy. He was a really normal guy <laughs> yeah. and was like always with Andy McDowell. Was like Phil is really a jerk and you have to get used to him. And I'm sorry. And he wasn't like a toady. He wasn't taking Phil's shit. He was yeah coming back to him with his own jokes. And then once Phil's arc is complete, then it's like all right. Well, we need a loser. Larry, you've been around. Let's yeah. make fun Chris of Chris Elliott it. has been typecast as a loser maybe they're just trying to bank off it which is sad to me because then his career wasn't as good as it should have been and i wonder if there's a subconscious connection where they're like chris elliott that loser don't cast him (laughs) but he's good i mean he has not much to do in this so this isn't the proof of that but chris elliott is good elsewhere and and for all i know that the loser stuff might have been him on this movie just being like give me something to do like like i can be supportive non-threatening co-worker but like but give me a give me something to play let you me know do what something. i'm good at i'm a loser yeah. <laughs> well i think it's actually what it's supposed to like my read of it was that he was humbled like mm-hmm. he was an asshole back to phil like larry was and because he called him like did he just call himself the talent i pre-Madonna. mean it was all just as prima donna five times but yeah he was justified but then once he realizes like phil over time if he realizes there's one day he woke up and Phil was a really nice guy and got him, mm-hmm. you know, like 
scones, yeah. scones and uh, coffee. Yeah. And it was a, just a simple gesture that went a very far away. So that's why he immediately took like the back seat. He was like, oh, I'm learning things today, which is a really nice thing. But that is, that do. means he's a really great guy because a guy but, at work who he thought was an asshole for six weeks is nice one day. And he's like, I'll let ha- bygones you know be what? bygones. Today he's a nice, nice guy. To him. So Chris Elliott's like a great dude. But it doesn't explain <laughs> why like the town as a whole, like, Loathes him? Yeah. Oh, loathes him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, what I thought is so funny, I think it's my favorite comedic flip in the movie is, is a Larry, and it's maybe his only laugh thing for me in the movie is, he crashes the car with a groundhog in it. Larry says, maybe he'll be okay. It explodes. Larry immediately zooms in on it and films (laughs) it. Does not even care that this man burned alive in his presence. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, he jumps off a building and they have to identify the body physically with the coroner. <laughs> and it's just Larry going, Yeah, it's him. <laughs> I really liked him. He was a really great guy. Really great guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was a really, I really, really liked him. He's yeah. a really great guy. Yeah. yeah. Just love it. If your body is still there, people feel weird about talking yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was just doing that because he was scared of like he doesn't want to be seen it's as like an we're asshole. in public now, right. exactly. And like Annie McDowell was clutching him at that at that time, is that right? Is she also there to identify She's the body identifying and, like, it as well, yeah. Sees it gets sad and grabs Chris Elliott <laughs> yeah. and he's immediately like I'm gonna say the right thing because the woman is touching me. Yeah, and yeah who that's knows where true. this is gonna go. Yeah. yeah. But it is sad how doesn't she just perfunctorily uh, says no to him when he asks her out as if like that's insane right that we to, would go out no no to, to Larry to whom D- does he ask her out when does he ask her out I thought he asked her well he hits on her he asked her to come to the party with him at least yeah that's right is that right that's okay. right yeah. I remember but him hitting on, but on then Nancy but he goes after Nancy yeah I guess I mean party. Nancy but okay you're right I, I'm misremembering it's yeah. Nancy Nancy just has like a completely uh, fictitious fake relationship with her right. in his head. Like they're drinking together and he uh, is clearly hitting on her and she's like, I should really get back to the party. Great, let's go together. Yeah. And walks in, tries to put her arm around her, tries to put his arm that's around right, her. That's right. And she pushes it off, but he's still like, uh, you know, if you were a stranger, he is doing the body language of someone who is saying, we are together. Yeah. And then he goes up on stage to get bit on, hoping that she was going to bet on him, which she does not. Well, the body language is different from a different time all throughout this. Like when Bill Murray is initially asking Nancy her situation, Mm -hmm. watch that scene, imagining it from Nancy's point of view, where a man in a suit finishes his meal, then sits at an empty table, turns around in the chair and leans into you (laughs) and goes, what's your name? Uh, Nancy, where'd you go to school? Who's your 12th grade teacher? That's so <laughs> fucking like, scary. And she's the whole time she was like, and where did you go to school? And what's your name? And then at the end, he's just like, Nancy, Lincoln High School, Mrs. Walsh. I'd be like, uh, uh, he's going to eat like, my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, Nancy is the other hint of mm-hmm. someone who remembers because when he's with Annie McDowell at the theater, no, he's no. With a diff- different woman, different, different random woman. At that the does degrade the like, because even if he ends, he remembers fucking this whole town of yep, women. Yep, yep. Um, but he's with the blonde girl at the theater, yeah. and Nancy walks by, and I guess it's arguable that she looks at him because they're in costumes. But they seem to have a look like she remembers this. Yeah. I thought she knows. Nancy walks by. <laughs> well, I I thought that was innocent because Nancy walks by and he goes Nancy, and she looks at him. Oh, he says her name, okay. and then walks away. Uh, which is what goes, I would do my if ex- someone said my name. And he's like, it's my ex-fiance. She doesn't remember me. Yeah, that's that also, that's, 
That's such a wacky moment in this movie. Right. Because it's so rich with detail that I want to unpack. So he, we just see him That's pull Clint up to Eastwood. a movie theater. He's dressed as Clint Eastwood. Well, he has just stolen a bag of money from... I feel yes. that they felt they had to address, at the very least, you would steal a bunch of money. Right. So they have to have that night, yeah. So he's dressed as Clint Eastwood in a costume, and she is his date. She's not a... I didn't get prostitute vibe, because she was like, I thought you said we were going to a dress-up party. Yeah. Which is what a disappointed date would say if you'd convinced her to put on a maid costume to go to a dress-up party. Yeah. But instead, they're going to a movie. And he said, I told you this is my favorite movie. I've seen it a hundred times. And she's like, okay, this is weird, Phil. He's like, told you, call me Bronco. She's like, all right, Bronco. What, I can, I can bet, I can understand how he can convince the Nancys of the world to have sex with him after learning a lot about them. Right. I don't know, in one day, how you get a woman to go on a date with you, dress as a maid, and call you fucking Bronco. I made the same And be note. fine that you tricked yeah. her into going to a movie that she's still going to see with you. I'm like, what are you... What's that pipe, Phil? What are you right. packing? What's going he goes, on? Then he goes up to the ticket window and says, one adult and one... Uh, and she goes, adult. <laughs> Meaning that he's like, I think you're underage also. How did he get... Her to go along. I think he's with just this. trying you to have, be so you cool. You have like twelve hours, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You convince this beautiful young woman to be treated like trash yeah, and <laughs> dress like a maid and get tricked to going to a movie that you love She's and call like, you Bronco. But you know my high school teacher? Yeah. <laughs> hit me harder. <laughs> if you had an infinite infinity days though. But he d- it's one. It's one. Even like you can learn a lot about a person, but yeah, still like and you got you got I mean, that's max what, 12 hours to convince here's my this question. woman to do this. If you walked into a situation and a beautiful woman like your perfect type started saying everything you were thinking to the level of psychicness, would you get a boner or would you be intellectually curious? Because mm-hmm. for me, it's the latter. I would be like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Not like, this is sexy. And I would, <laughs> I would entertain it, but I would certainly not go to a second location. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I know where you went to. I know your uh, your world history teacher, Mr. Yeah. Barth. I know you're from Hazlitt, New Jersey. Uh, listen, I need you to put on dress like a cowboy. And I'm like, no, 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 you're clearly magic. Yeah. But like, no, I've yeah. got my own thing. Here's your I'm tip. not going to dress up for you. For me, the answer is both. <laughs> Brainer. Brain boner. Brain boner. Yeah, oh, I'd be a boy. little terrified because mm-hmm. it would be like, why do you know so much about mm-hmm. me? Yeah. But it's also like... Y- we never see what he says. Maybe he was just like, he, he like created this like, like amazing like moment where they're just like, are we soulmates? You know, like, holy shit. And there's also an incredibly cynical moment where she's not a prostitute, but he is like, here's $900,000. There's a maid costume. Call me Bronco and get me Bronco. Yeah. Yeah. I want, that's kind of a nice segue. I think you mentioned it as <laughs> number two. Do you think Bill Murray is cool and subversive and would be fun to hang out with or is a jerk? Absolutely think he's a jerk. <laughs> I think he's a jerk. <laughs> I think he's got like most uh, highly successful a- actors from this era. Like he has senioritis. So he get, he's gotten the more he got famous and the more he became Bill Murray mm-hmm. and he knows he's Bill Murray, mm-hmm. uh, the more 
insufferable he became. Not because he, it's just because he knows he can get away with it. Like Bruce Willis can't do an interview mm-hmm. without seeming like he's high the whole time. <laughs> he just because he doesn't I care. Don't care. Harrison yeah. Ford has the same thing where he's just like, I. That was a dumb question. Because like, what are you gonna do? Say yeah. like. Hey, let's not call back Harrison Ford. <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually feel like Bill Murray, if anything, is more chill now because he's older and because yeah. he has nothing more to prove. Did a when series I, of downer movies to yeah. mellow him out. And when I did <laughs> when I read stories about his behavior on set of Groundhog Day, that makes me think you're you might have just been a prick. Like they're they're because I'm also like fully And Caddyshack is legendary. Yeah. yeah. I'm and I'm fully in the camp that was like like AV Club does this series of uh, interviews called 11 Questions where they ask people the same 11 questions. And one of them this season is, can you separate art from artist? And people spend a really long time grappling with that and saying it's tough. I don't, I, absolutely, I don't separate art from artist. And if you're a prick, like there's nothing is good enough to be a shitty person. Like if I found out uh, Bill Murray sexually assaulted someone on the set of Groundhog Day. Great, I'll never watch Groundhog Day again. And if anyone brings it up, I'll say it's a piece of shit. I don't care about that movie. That's like that's a very uh, extreme take, but that's how I feel, and that's who I am. And so I read these things about Bill Murray being an asshole on set, and like yeah. Harold Ramis, who everything I've read about him, he's a, a sweet man, has said, has described his behavior as just really irrationally mean. And right. everyone on set was saying like, yeah, he like. Tobolowski, who's the nicest guy on the planet, was like, I think he was like, it was really cold. And I think that's why he was such a grumpy Gus. And, and like, this is Stephen Tobolowski, who's not going to yeah, tell any bizarre yeah, tales exactly. out of school. Everyone else just like, yeah, he was irrational. He was erratic. You never knew what he was going to do. He wouldn't take Harold Ramis's calls. And it destroyed their relationship for 25 years. And it's like, not worth it. Groundhog yeah, Day was yeah. a classic movie, but like, <laughs> if it was pulled out of time mm-hmm. like if undone instead we got a bunch of people who didn't have a miserable three months good that's a that's a net gain for me i'm mixed bold take bold it is bold, bold take. because then i ask like but is it the art's fault meaning if you could fast forward a million years and everyone's dead and all their children are dead and no one remembers this but an alien watches groundhog day doesn't it have intrinsic value of itself <sighs> I don't know the answer. I'm just saying. But that is, I think, one of the most pressing questions of our time, for sure. Especially for people who are in the field. Um, I highly recommend, because we've been dancing around it, we should shout it out. I was there too, Matt Gorley's podcast. The episode with Stephen Tobolowsky. For more info on Bill Murray's prickness filtered through a very nice man. (laughs) And that day, he was a little... A little rambly to work with. (laughs) Okay, so he punched you in the face. (laughs) Right, you have to understand that the water was really cold and they had to wrap his foot in saran wrap and then like a bunch of other stuff and then put his shoe on and it was such an ordeal that, of course, he cheated on and abused (laughs) his wife. You understand? It was so cold. When he kneed me in the crotch, his (laughs) foot was cold. On uh, the the place that shall not be named my podcast with Tom. uh, (laughs) Great movie podcast. Yeah, uh, we had an episode where they, uh, Ramus and... Uh, Reiner all had a phrase for what this period of, mm-hmm. for Bill Murray, and they called him the Murricane. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah I right? mean, like that's your first option. Right? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> bounce it off the walls for a little while. <laughs> Although my favorite slash, I think the most condemning story from the time is, 
And if you've been on a set, it's so much more visceral to hear this. When they're shooting Caddyshack and he gets a deaf assistant as a quote unquote like prank because for weeks no one's been able to get in touch with him and he says, I'll send my assistant to collect notes right. and she's deaf. And uh, it's if you are sitting there with dozens and dozens of people and thousands and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and you're responsible, you would have a fucking heart attack. Yeah. Like, this is insane, unacceptable yeah, behavior. You, yeah. this is, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing a lot of former heroes in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but that's on me. That's my punishment for making heroes out of white men in the past. That's, yeah. I, should, I should diversify my heroes and then I will lose <laughs> less of them. It's true, but it doesn't make him less able to bring it. That's the thing that's confusing. Mm -hmm. Because the other trivia thing I liked on IMDb was that, again, this is a prick move, but then you're like, I guess I'm impressed. (laughs) He would come in not having read the lines and not knowing what scene or what time in the timeline it's supposed to be and just say, good fill or bad fill? And they'd go, bad fill. But what's crazy is in this movie, good fill genuinely moves you and seems like a good guy. And bad fill is an alienating jerk. So he can... Maybe he's a sociopath. I think he might be a sociopath. I'm also like looking at his IMDb right now because one of the other things that I learned in researching for this podcast is Harold Ramis talking about their relationship, which is like, I knew how to make him the best Bill Murray that he could be, the funniest Bill Murray that he could be. I knew how to get that out of him. And I did that. And then whatever happened afterwards Mm -hmm. happened afterwards. (laughs) And I'm looking now to see like, has he done something since uh, Groundhog Day that was as iconic for me. He guess I guess he was good in Kingpin. He made me laugh in Space Jam, but he's playing Bill Murray. I was going to ask, lot, is like, this the best Bill Murray movie? This might be the best Bill yeah. Murray movie. I, I lean Scrooged a lot because Scrooge is very... I've never uh, seen it. You've never seen it? I, I got to. Goodness uh, gracious, his you got Wes to. Anderson it's a musical? Phase. He has his Wes Anderson phase that he's still Rushmore in. Because Rushmore yeah. and Steve Zissou are really yeah. fantastic. Rushmore is very funny. <laughs> and he's funny in it. <laughs> yeah, he's very funny <laughs> yeah. in Rushmore. He, he makes that movie. When he reaches yeah. back and punches his kid in the head. When he packs the shit <laughs> out of him. He's very quirky and charming in... And like perfectly appropriate in every Wes Anderson movie that he's done, which is what he mostly does now. But I'm still trying like Yeah. Also in our I Beatles don't know, classic. I don't know iconic, I don't know classic. Yeah. In our yeah. Beetlejuice episode, it brought up alternate casting ideas and it totally made me realize the kinship between Bill Murray and Michael Keaton that I didn't know in fact, was there. Keaton. Michael Keaton turned this down. But like I feel like they could swap almost any roles. I like, agree with Michael that. Michael Keaton could have aced Bill Murray's career, so to speak. I think they have to. similar <laughs> like face parts too. Like, <laughs> yes. like some expressions that Bill Murray made in Groundhog Day, I was like that's kind of Michael Keaton. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty Michael Keaton right You know, there. it's also, in, uh, Tom Hanks was considered, but then they decided against it because he's quote, quote, too nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet he could pull part. it off, though. I God. bet he could pull it off, but because, uh, like, Burbs, he's kind of yeah. rough around the edges, but, like, not in this way. Not where he's, like, kind of a maniac. Yeah, that right. We do know Keaton See, and Murray can Because Hanks is, is genuinely very talented, and we haven't, Seen, I want to see like a Jared Leto role go to Tom Hanks, or I want to see a movie. The circle didn't go far enough. I want to see a movie where they totally bank on you know who Tom Hanks is, and then in act three, you're like, What? He's eating the children alive, right? (laughs) He's never really been a full villain, like Lady Killers. He's doing crimes, but he's like goofy and corny. And (laughs) the circle, he is the bad guy, but 
the whole point of him is that you you Kill don't suspect him as a bad guy. He's the yeah. whitest like, of white yeah, collar. Yeah. 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 No dirty hands it's, on Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> Hanks will never do. In uh, Terminal, anything. he's trying to bring down America by immigrating illegally. But yeah. that's right. a different I mean, issue. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a league of your own, he's a drunk, I guess. But nah, he's, nah, he's still lovable. That's lovable. There's yeah. no crying in baseball. <laughs> Haven't seen Great. that either. Oh, I love that movie. I got I was, movies to I watch today. Was thinking about. I want one of the people I know who does podcasts about movies to let me come on and talk about League of Their Own. Okay, we'll do that I, next. I, time. I, yeah, we should do that next. I, 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 I love, that, love movie. that movie so much. I love it enough that um, we have a mutual friend that I will mention off air okay and she had never seen the movie and I had her over to my apartment years ago to watch it and it was one of those movies that's so important to me that she's like talking and asking questions and like laughing and distracted and doing bits that I actually stopped it and was like what do you what in the nicest way possible what what do you want to watch she's like parks and recreation that's what we're gonna watch then because I do that I'm showing you this movie because it's important to to I, you, I, I, that it's important to me that you know that it's important. Do you want to watch it or do yeah. you not want to watch it? We don't have to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this is this is a relationship destroying moment. If you don't like this movie, so let's just watch. Yeah, let's just, just watch something else. Let's like just, I would rather you know keep next, this friendship. Let's going. Just phone it in, <laughs> Parks and Rec. Let's yeah. just next phone time it you're in. rolling balls deep on that Molly, let's watch it and you'll like it, and <laughs> and then things can progress. Yeah, leave your own. Um, okay, well, nothing I, to do with this movie. I bought no. you and I own you, so I'm yeah. saying that episode's over now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> or uh, I open the floor for final thoughts or amazing trivia if anyone had anything they wanted to get out. But I definitely um, want to. Uh, I want to get have everything. a little time to plug what Dan's working on. No, I don't do plugs on podcasts anymore. At all, ever. No, and I'm I'm doing. Then I want to have time for Dan to explain his logic behind that. That's interesting in and of itself. Well, here's let me get your take on this because. I am recording a podcast tomorrow. That's a plug. And you I already was, fucked it up. I'm not even, I didn't even <laughs> tell anyone what it is. And I was going to save the rant for that. Is it weird if I do the same rant at this podcast and the next podcast? No, because I, different okay. audiences. And I you've guess. done stand up more than me. I had to yeah. get over it with stand up where I'm like, it's weird to say the same words ever. Yeah. I would be like confused if well, I did two stand up things in a week. Yeah. You didn't watch me for the last like year of stand up that I did. I never repeated a set. Good and that for was, you. Like, I, I went up and. But you know, no one does that. <laughs> I stood up there and I was like, hey, I never repeat sets. So if this is bad. Don't worry. No one's ever going to see it again. And if it's good, it's even better because we're sharing it together. And this is a special thing. You're the only people who are ever going to see right. this. And I'm doing this to talk about what's going on in my mind right now. And we are, we are a moment in time. You and I, this is part of it, and that's it. And uh, that's my time. It buys me so much grace. <laughs> yeah. There's so much goodwill. Oh, I bet. But built into that. But it's also like how I feel about stand-up comedy. See, I yeah, th- that's I think Gary Shandling-esque. That's, yes. that's romantic, mm-hmm. but I like <laughs> Fuck you. perfecting <laughs> right. the, the thing. So like, you're going to do it here, and then when you do it tomorrow, it yeah. will be even better. Right. That's why John you're a USC Mulaney, film graduate. John Mulaney is the opposite of that. And he's the best comic living right now. And I yeah, watch him and all I good. see is the poise and uh, dedication and the practice that he's put into this. Uh, but it's yeah. just, you know. I've watched, oh, Eddie Murphy was the same way. Like yeah. you could time your watch to it. Uh, oh, hello, I've watched like four times. It's, it's very, very it's enjoyable. Very <laughs> yeah. And they're very casual in that. I like how yes. casual they are in that. But, like but his, his you can tell by their footwork yes. that they're theater kids with perfect choreography yeah. and shit. Yeah. Right. Bo Burnham's the same way. Everything's uh, the same. 
Bo Burnham is like the Marx Brothers, I think, yeah. where it's yeah, fucking yeah. distilled. And down now he's the second. He, he's so fucking young. I know <laughs> that he's gonna have a second career before I've had my first. Right, because he he, <laughs> you know? he directed uh, Chris Rock's latest special. He direct, yeah. directed uh, and, Gerard Carmichael's special and this movie Eighth Grade that yeah, is getting grade. a whole lot of buzz. Yeah. You worked at that pizza place for a while. That's your first career. That's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> and I kicked the shit out of those pizzas. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing that I'll plug. The first thing that I'll plug is everyone who is listening to this should uh, listen to Michael's episode of a podcast called At Least There's This, where he talks about the sun. I was, I've was i just been listening to that podcast for a while, and I came across... There's, there's a lot of uh, expats that you all know from the recent diaspora. Um, we all used to work at the same gym, and then the gym closed, so now we're all doing different things. Um, so you hear a lot of familiar voices on there, and one of them is Michael's, and I listened to this after having not been in the company of Michael in months and it what he a thing that I don't think gets to come across enough in any of the work that we've ever done is just how bright Michael is and how thoughtful he is and just to hear him talk about the sun and philosophy and science and nature and uh the human condition it's very uh impressive and also just like really heartwarming you you leave with a good feeling it's just a uh, it's Michael talking about how great he thinks the sun is for an hour with a, a host that is very game for this kind of conversation. <laughs> and I, and that's that's my plug. Thank you so much, you man. Got it, buddy. Terrible day to plug that. No, it's so hot. It's 108 um, degrees here. Mm-hmm. But that means so much to me. Thank you. Sure. Is so why have you not done plugs in general? Or do the you have another I'm not, plug it's, first? It's okay. uh I'm I consider myself a fairly optimistic person mm-hmm. and and I I like people in the world, but if you get me at my most cynical, which I try not to be, but the thing that is like the, the uh, blackness in me that, oh, yeah. that, that I, I think about <laughs> frequently is I feel like we've been given this amazing world and all these opportunities. And one of the things that we've been, we as a society have been so successful at, at has been uh, cramming ads into more and more places. Mm. Even when it's, if it's the end of the podcast and it's, and it's the, the way that all podcasts end, it's such a natural thing to be like, okay, so where do you plug in and where can people find you? Yeah. And everyone just like robotically answers that. It's still an ad. It's still like we've, yeah, we've, definitely. we've found, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and they will have like an ad that is embedded. Like you'll see before you watch this, you can skip this ad in three seconds, but, but first we're going to tell you about cars. Mm-hmm. We're going to tell you about this movie. Fine. Skip. Now I'm watching this vlog. This vlogger that I like is going to talk and he will self interrupt the video to be like, hey guys, before I give you the rest of the video, I want to talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is sponsoring this video. SeatGeek is the smartest way. Oh, I haven't to, encountered that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They're all the most popular vlogs have this where it's like, SeatGeek is is the the smartest way to do X Y Z X Y Z. Okay, I've told you about SeatGeek. SeatGeek promo code is in my description below. Now back to the video, and then you get the rest of the video. Wow. And then at the end of the video, it's like, guys, thanks for watching. Make sure you click and subscribe. Also, there's merch. You can buy my merch. It's twenty percent <laughs> off right now. It's in the description. See, and also we're going on tour right now. You could buy that. And like, I understand how advertising fuels art, but I, when I think about the future, I just think about. There, there, there are people who are who know that there are more places you can cram in ads, and no one is stopping them. And we're just getting yeah. surrounded by ads all the time. And I'm sure this yep. is a Bill Hicks rant, not from the by 60s, the way. but it's yeah. we just found more ways to capitalize on people's attention to try to sell them things that they didn't sign up for, and it drives me crazy. Never see, I will see stop. Both. We'll only accelerate to infinity. I see it both ways in this. I totally get exactly what you're saying about like the. Seek Geek, or you know, mm-hmm. you can't create a worse name for <laughs> mispronouncing. The service sucks, by the uh, way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, we just. You just started courting sponsors. But not them. <laughs> it, 
<laughs> it works. The, it works really poorly. I've used it several times. Oh, oh that's amazing. This is, here we go. Uh, so I totally know what you're saying when it's just like this. Get money, give me merch, that mm-hmm. stuff. But plugging, which I know is still a form of an ad, someone else. It, you're right about. The, I've had that observation too, where it's that robotic kind of like. And then we have to do this part of the thing, and no one's heart is in it, and yeah. everyone robotically like asks the question. They act like, so what are you working on? You know, which mm-hmm. is just like a fakeness. You right. know, and I, I get all my heart that. is in it in that but I want my friends to that's plug what I was going to gonna say. So to, oh, sorry. Okay. The, no, I was like, that's why I see both ways of it is that it comes from this beautiful place where it's just like, this is my friend. I mm-hmm. like, especially as you said, we had, you know, like our, our gym closed, mm-hmm. uh, especially net of all times. It's just like, I want people to be like eyeballs and whatever I can do. It may not be much, but maybe it's the only one that they saw of this one. And they like, they listen to our frame rate podcast and like Tom or you or Dave, they've never even heard of them before by some weird blind spot. Mm -hmm. But then they're like, you know what? That Tom guy was better than like Abe and Mike, you know, now I've just put, but like food and, and drugs, I, that's man. why he'll never be back on the show. I, I absolutely understand that. And the, the, there are two things that I'll say. And then a third thing, uh, <sighs> and <laughs> I'm making the watch sign. One of them is, uh, I'm not going to be mad at any podcast in the world that does the things that, that people do uh-huh. Two, I completely understand the impulse. And I know that there are a lot of audience people out there that are just like, I want to know how I can support you further. What can I, yeah. what, what can I do? Uh, and I understand that comes from a, a, a place of goodness. Um, but I'm just still not going to do it. Like, I, I, like everybody has a platform. I'm using mine to, in the plugs section of podcasts, talk about something else that someone else did that I like. Yeah, man. I, I like it. Do. That's, those are your signatures. That and your rainbow tank top and your backwards baseball cap. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much, though. I, I would say tell me, uh, or I'd say... Uh, have you looked into single premium life? Because I feel like that might be the ticket for you. <laughs> Welcome to the... This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!